Let's get ready to roll. Lead Like a Lady features amazing women at the top of their game who know what it's like to be the only woman in the room. They're here to share their stories, inspire greatness, and provide advice to all the women coming up behind them. Now, here's your host, Army veteran and retired FBI assistant special agent in charge, Gina L. Osborne. Welcome to Lead Like a Lady. I'm your host, Gina L. Osborne. Today on the show, we're going to talk about combating fear and increasing your confidence. But most of all, you'll be blown away by our guest's story. I'm super excited because our guest is a bona fide pioneer. Brenda Robinson is the first African-American female pilot to get her wings by the United States Navy. Bam. If that's not enough, she was also the first African-American female pilot to fly for American Airlines. During her career, she flew seven different types of aircraft, landed on aircraft carriers, and was an instructor at the Navy's flight school. If that's not enough to wow you, she's also an author and she's inducted in the International Pioneer Hall of Fame. Ladies and gentlemen, buckle your seatbelts because you are in for a wild ride. Now sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired. Welcome to the show, Brenda. Thank you. It's wonderful to meet you. Oh my gosh, it's nice to meet you as well. Brenda, one of my heroes is Amelia Earhart. And I remember the feeling I got reading about her when I was a little girl. And it was sort of that feeling where your stomach is on fire because I remember how fearless she was and how driven she was. And my imagination would run away with me dreaming of all the things I could do with my life. When I read about you, I felt that exact same feeling. You are a true trailblazer. How did a little girl from Philadelphia become the first African-American woman to earn her wings in the United States Navy? Yeah, you know, that is the most amazing part. If you knew the 13-year-old me, the question is, how did you wait until I came along to be, <laughs> for this to be a thing? How is that possible? You know, how did it work out to be that way? I got into aviation, went into college, I knew that aviation was cool, so I got into aeronautics, got a degree with that, but they had the opportunity to take flying lessons, which was not on my radar. But, you know, I call home, oh my God, we need money. <laughs> I need to go to flight school. And I really expected my parents to go, um, yeah, we don't have that kind of money. So, you know, thanks for asking though. And no, my dad said, okay, we'll figure this out. And they started sending money for, for flight school starts and stops because, you know, money does not flow that easy. I did finally get my private pilot's license. And then the, when the Navy was looking for, when they came to our school and just, you know, talked to all the aeronautic graduates, you know, because of course you're going to go into the military. <laughs> and I told folks that I had my private pilot's license, but I was actually qualified to do nothing. There's no job for a private pilot, but to, to go and get a whole career starting with the military I didn't see it that way, but I said, hmm, this looks like a good door to go through. Let me check this out. Did you know at the time you were breaking barriers? When uh, they hired me, they said, well, do you know that you are going to be the first black woman ever to go into the Navy to become a pilot? 
that didn't phase me because the point was, if I went and started this very difficult, you know, option and I didn't get through, nobody would even know that I was there. So for me to get all excited about what they were excited about was a, you know, that was a waste of energy. And I really didn't believe it as a true option. But I will say that well, I was recruited into the Navy as one of 10 women in the entire nation that year. That's as far as the Navy would go with bringing women in. And when we, each one of us graduated from college, all 10 of us, we had to start basic training at the same time. They didn't want women separated throughout the year like you would normally go into the service after college. So I graduated in 78 but waited until November to start basic training. I mean, you still got to go through basic before you go to, um, to flight school. So that is how I got in there. And the entire time that everyone else worried about, well, oh, she could be the first, she's the first, she could be the first, you know, the whole time they're all worried about it. I'm like, please let me get through this. <laughs> please wow. let me get through this. This wow. is, it is the toughest thing that anybody has ever done in their life. I, you know, not just me, that anybody that has gone through that, it's the toughest thing they have ever done in their life. And I'm happy that I actually did that, got to know everything about myself. <laughs> so, okay. So you're the first and it didn't phase you. <laughs> so <laughs> what, so, but what was it like? There were only 10 women. You were with the sea of men. How hard was it? What were you going through? Well, the women were divided up into two battalions. So uh, there were three of us in one battalion six in the other, and one woman didn't show up. That, that's how we went through. Now, in my class, in my battalion, we had 32 recruits, 32 of us, and three of us were women. And when we graduated, when we were commissioned, there were 17 of us total, three women. Wow. <laughs> three of us were women. So half of your class dropped out of basic training? Yes. That yes. is insane. Gone. Yeah, we all uh, arrive as tough guys, <laughs> and only the tough guys are still left there. And the funny thing is, I didn't, and I still don't fit the model of the people that walk in there. You know, they, uh, the macho uh, ability, that wasn't mine. I was a type B shy introvert. Basic training is no joke. This was grueling, physical, mental, educational factor that you have to be able to handle all of those. And like I said, not easy, but after a while it became a routine. What we thought was horrific day one, when we showed up, started to become normal. Okay. This is what we do every day. <laughs> you know, this is, this is, these are our hours. This is when we wake up. This is when we polish our brass. This is when we go run five miles. This is, this is um, sit in class all day. This is when we take our exams. You know, this is, when you have to uh, stand in formation, all of these things just became normal. They were crazy if you just thought about it, but this is just became normal. Now, the three women who made it through, did you all band together and make sure that the, all three of you made mm -hmm. it through together? Yeah, well, we had met each other on that. Well, I didn't tell you about it, the, the visit. They brought the women down to see basic training to make sure that we weren't going to freak out <laughs> when we were brought down there in the first place. They, they really didn't want to waste money. So they decided to waste money up front, which to me was like the, the greatest thing ever to take that trip down to Pensacola and see what was going on. So we met each other. We knew each other and we were all from the Northeast. So we all drove down to Pensacola together. 
we got out of the car on the seawall, shook each other's hand <laughs> and said, good luck. Wow. <laughs> I got your back. I got your back. Good luck. You know, I'm hoping that we all get through this. So of course we were roommates together and we got through it. That is a huge accomplishment. I love hearing stories where women bonded together and made it through to the end. Now you go off to flight school and having been in the military, I know what it's like to be the only woman in the room, but you were the only African-American woman in the sea of testosterone. So what was that like? Uh, you know, there's so there many ways that I could go with that. I grew up in a predominantly white school, went to a predominantly white college. So my friends were everyone. I was not intimidated in the least bit by my surroundings. But I, I will say that when I walked into Whiting Field, and you know, I'm, I'm checking in, I'm signing in, I don't notice anyone around me, but everybody notices me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like my days at Whiting were really about me trying to survive myself and everyone else would be best to worry about their own um, position in getting through flight school. So I didn't feel as though I was bothered or harassed, you know, maybe just kind of people gave me the, um, the awkward eye as to uh, what are you doing here or who are you? You know, how could, how could you be here? But that's not the story. The story is there were a group of black naval aviators who were going through flight school too. They also saw me. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to say that they kind of put together a football team <laughs> and, you know, and they were the blockers and nothing ever touched me because they were blocking it all. At the same time, they were trying to make sure that I was studying as hard as I was supposed to be studying. And mm -hmm. you can't get through flight school alone anyway. You have to have a, a group of people to study with. You have to understand what it is you're, is expected of you. The course is crazy, busy, and the study is super hard. They had like two jobs that I didn't realize was keep people from jerking me around and at the same time quizzing me. Um, what's your emergency procedure for that? You know, how come, what does the system do for that? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, would you guys leave me alone? <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. You know, and now we're all, we're all older. <laughs> We've all had successful careers and I get to find out now what they did back then. Yeah. Quite interesting. I always say that no matter where you go, you find the most unlikely angels come to your rescue, whether you want them or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, you know, I learned from one of them that just, it kind of blew my mind. And again, I only learned this like about a year ago. He said, you know what, I would have been kicked out of the flight program if that's what it took to make sure that you got through. Because they knew that I was a first. They just thought that this was something. I, again, didn't think that was anything because uh, who am I if, I if I drop out? But they still saw that as something important. Right. And um, he, he said, I would have willingly dropped out of the program if that made the difference of fighting for you to get through this program. How does that make so you I'm feel? Like, oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> you know, unworthy. <laughs> <laughs> unworthy. How, how is it that only thing I could do was put my head down and study hard? and not be interrupted by everyone around me, good or bad, that it just seems like I was not grateful, <laughs> you know, yeah. but I'm, 
I'm, I'm looking back at it now and I go, well, I should have said thank you a lot more. <laughs> yeah. 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 Really? So you made it through. Tell us about this illustrious career you've had. Well, after I, I um, got my wings, I um, was assigned by the detailer to go to Norfolk, Virginia, to the Naval Air Station and fly CODs, fly C-1s. And from the stratosphere of people kind of gossip things, I'm, I'm hearing, oh, that's not a really good job. Oh, that's for, that's for losers. Oh, that's a, a job that, you know, uh, people that don't have anywhere to go, go. And I'm like, huh, let me call up the detailer. Hey, you're giving me a job that nobody wants. What is, what's this? And <laughs> so the detailer explained something to me that I'm hoping that is over with now. Women officers going through the program in, in a flight position were really limited to what real jobs they could have and absolutely couldn't do anything that was combat related. Back in so, the day, yeah. Yeah, so they realized that if you're not in anything combat related, you can't make any kind of aggressive movement or any movement in the chain of command hierarchy. So you will always be a nobody. You will all, you will never be in command of anything or you'd never make it to Admiral because your, your fitness reports would not reflect that you were in charge of anything. They made up a segment called force support. If you become a leader in force support, you're Fit reps would be just as important as anybody else's. But that's the eye roll. Oh, okay. All right. I'm going to go into force support. And this is the place that I need to go to. So, all right, come fine. So that, that's where I ended up. And it is the job that I talk about all the time when people interview me because I became a COD pilot. I landed on aircraft carriers for a job. I became an aircraft commander, which is a captain on, on anybody else's uh, airplane. Aircraft commander flying to the ship. Who doesn't think that that's the coolest thing in the world? Right. So I'm like, this is great. So what I was doing was carrying passengers and mail and cargo, whatever the ship needed. When the ship leaves dock, they need everything like right now. <laughs> Just because they left, everything still has to come on and off the ship. So that was our job to make sure that that happens. So I did that for three solid years and, and, and enjoyed that. I make that the biggest deal because people don't understand you landed on aircraft carriers. You must have been scared. I actually formulated an entire speech on fear because people don't understand the military. They don't understand. We don't have time for fear. And it's not because I'm, I'm not brave. I'm not courageous. Fear comes from something that you don't understand. Fear comes from people that you never bothered to understand. And fear comes from not studying and practicing hard enough. That's where fear is. So once you get the job done, you're done with fear. And, you know, in that particular instance, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid of bungee jumping, but I don't plan on doing that. So I don't need to know everything I need to know about bungee jumping. But in this particular case, you needed to know everything about landing on aircraft carriers. You need to practice often. You know, you needed to be able to prove yourselves. So that's why it's not fearful. I, I don't fear anything. I really don't because I know, I know how the system works. You got to understand it. And if you don't understand it, you're going to fear it. When people, passengers get on an airplane, when I was an airline pilot, when they got on an airplane, they were, they were terrified. But why wouldn't they be terrified when they don't even know how an airplane flies? You know, what keeps it in the air? What do the pilots know? And when do they know it? You know, are they praying before they do the takeoff roll? 
You know, what is it that they do up there? And if they reject the takeoff, oh my God, are we all going to die? You know, they don't understand all the all of the training and the and the basic setup that we have to do before we even step into the airplane. We know exactly what's going to happen, and if it doesn't happen, we know the reaction to what we're supposed to do. You know, in that particular case. So I'm, most people don't understand it. So I, I'm not fearful of landing on aircraft carriers. I hear what you're saying, but when you are flying over the ocean and you see this tiny little speck of an aircraft carrier that you're supposed to land on, doesn't fear well up in your gut when you're going to do something like that for the first time? When you have trained to do what it is you're doing, you're too busy to be dealing with emotion. And I'm, I'm so serious about that. Mm-hmm. I'm checking my parasitting. I'm checking my nose attitude. I'm looking at, there's a, a ball on the side of the air, the ship called the uh, Fresnel lens, and we call it the ball. And we have, it's like a video game, keeping the ball in the center. There's a LSO that's standing on the ship, watching my airplane, who can hear my power settings just by the tone of the engine, knowing that whether or not I need to add power or, or reduce power. I'm on a glide path down to the ship, maintaining that ball. I'm not even looking at the ship. I told this to my cousin. I found out 30 years later that she told people that I had my eyes closed when I was landing on the ship. And I go, (laughs) dead. I'm not looking at the ship. I'm looking at the lens, which is attached to the ship. My job is to keep everything in the center, just like a video game. There is no fear in that. There's no fear in that. All I had to do was do what I was supposed to do. And after I land, as soon as I touch down, my job was to chop the power, pull the power all the way to off. You can't do that with a high performance jet, but the airplane that I was flying had instantaneous power. And instantaneous power means that if I missed the wire, which is a great big old gigantic cable, and I lowered my tail hook to hook onto that cable when I landed, should I miss all the wires available to me, I would just add the power back and have instantaneous power and then take right back off again. We have all contingencies of what to do if this then that and it's all memorized it's just motor memory we do all of this all the time those were my options and here here's the problem i don't remember my first landing (laughs) (laughs) tell everybody this is the true statement i was busy i don't have time to just like i don't have time to glorify the fact that i'm the first black woman i did not have time to go oh can i get a selfie this is so cool no we don't have time for that when you're when you're landing on board ship. You are totally focused on every every aspect of the job you're there to do. So the moral of the story is if you're trained, then you're not mm-hmm. going to have fear. Yes. Yeah, because the military doesn't send you out to do stuff you're not trained to do. That's why we train. You don't lackluster train. Mm-hmm. You don't kind of get it. You don't get a C, you know, and then go on. No. You have to be an expert at it. And they, tra- and they train you or allow you to train to perfection. That is brilliant. And you can apply that to any other walk of life, any yeah. other task that anyone is doing that they're afraid to do. I love it. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. It is the answer to fear. And people are like, I'm afraid to do that. It's like, that's because you don't know anything about it. You know, mm-hmm. and it's as clear as bell to me. You have not looked into it. You have not researched this. You have not studied it. Did mm-hmm. you take a class on it? Did you talk to somebody who was an expert in it? Did you read a book that somebody wrote all about that thing? You can't be frightened about stuff. 
You went on to have several assignments and flew seven different aircraft, which is extraordinary. You even flew during Desert Storm. Did you see more opportunities open up to women pilots by the time you retired? I can't say how much they were opening up. I remember that when I was teaching at flight school, I guess I'd been in maybe eight years before I saw the next black female in flight school. And um, 16 years after I got my wings is when the first Marine pilot, combat pilot, you know, got her wings. That was what I was looking for. Not, uh, you know, I wasn't a Marine. So there was nothing that I could do to make any of these things happen. Mm -hmm. But when I was getting out of the Navy, which was one of my last squadrons, I asked the secretary of the Navy, who I flew VIP, uh, he was assistant at the time. I asked him if he write me a letter of recommendation. And he said, I'm going to write this under protest because I need you to stay in the military because we need more people to see you become an admiral. In order for me to become an admiral, I had to stop flying. I would have to fly a desk. I would have to run a, run a squadron. And so now it's, now it's self-serving. It's like, I want to keep flying. Um, this is the way to go to my career destiny. And it's not as if I'm the last person, the last black person that will ever come through the Navy. And sure enough, we have black female Navy uh, admirals. So, <laughs> you know, it is still working. I don't know what part I have done except for existing and working as hard as I can to do the job I was taught to do. And I can say uh, on behalf of all of the women who came behind you, thank you for doing that. If I had flunked out, if I had gotten so busy worrying about perception and achieving somebody else's goal, um, I would have probably not achieved anything that would allow me to even speak to you right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that I did it the, the way that I did it. Just work hard doing what you're supposed to be focusing on and just do that. So what do you say to the women who are coming up behind you who are looking at the military as a, as a career or a potential career? I would say it is still the way to go. Yeah, <laughs> It is the way to go because when you are in the military, they train you to perfection. I don't know how many millions of dollars the value of that training is. Then you fly, which is in aviation, in the aviation career, it's how many hours do you have? before you can move on to something that someone will can take you seriously. And in the civilian world, you have to pay for every one of those hours. In the military, they pay you. So why wouldn't you do it that way? The military is the military, they fight wars. You understand your role just by going through basic training. <laughs> mm -hmm. You just go through basic training, you find out what you're really made of, whether you can handle this or not. And then you get uh, the appropriate job, flight job, if that's where you're going, to, uh, to support that. If it takes you to war, that's your job. You just do it really well so that you, you, know, you can be a part of whatever, what the military is all about. But most people go in there thinking, well, I'm going to get an education. I'm going to get a background. I'm going to get hours. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But you also sign on to be the protector of, of our government, of our world. So you are taking on this added responsibility. Your family is taking on that extra responsibility. 
So you don't, you don't take that lightly, but I still think if I had to do it all over again, I would go through the military. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) But I, I will tell you that when I am dealing with a professional who has military background, it's like a calming effect to me. Mm-hmm. It's like, I know it's going to get done right. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just in the back of my mind always. I know that's going to get done right. I know mm-hmm. it's going to be done on time. I know mm-hmm. that whatever they say they're going to do, they will actually do. I feel the exact same way. And plus you have that yeah. camaraderie because you've been in the trenches the same way that that person had been. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So you left the military and you became an American Airlines pilot in 1992. I mean, I'm sure there weren't a lot of female pilots back then, let alone African-American female pilots. Exactly. There were very few women pilots. Yeah, you're you're an island when you go in there as a female. There was another black female that had gone through training, but I don't know what her progress was. By the time I got there, she was gone. So I don't know um, all the details. Um, I do know that every time I went for a flight, the captain always felt it was necessary for Operation Chit Chat to talk about the failed women, <laughs> the failed <laughs> black woman, the failed women, you know, the, the, the stupid women. This is this is what they do. Story, you know, it's like, oh, geez, if I could tell you about the stupid boy stories, but you get all upset, you know, <laughs> so oh, no. I just kept my mouth shut. But it's like um, th- that was kind of the, the temperature in the room at the time. But um, it still was not an, a big deal to me because again, all I wanted to do was uh, work hard so I could just be so good at my job that I could just love going to work. And that's exactly how that worked out. So yeah. I flew di- three different airplanes for American Airlines and they considered me the first black woman pilot at, at American. And so I don't want to take anything away from the first, first black woman pilot at American. I just, I don't know exactly everything that, uh, that transpired. And I probably should spend a lot more time getting that together. So, well, we've had a lot of black women come through since uh, I did and they give me all this credit. I'm like, you know, it's like, stop, stop, stop. You know, like, oh, if you didn't do this, I mean, I was, I had somebody to look up and blah, blah, blah. And I am, I am honored that they think that, you know, I'm honored that they, that they, they saw me and thought this was the catalyst that they needed to, to be superior. And they are, I'm so proud of them. You know, they do, they do, they are marvelous. That's, I guess, my, my contribution for that. I, I feel as though I achieved something just by working hard. Well, and I hope you feel how much we appreciate you. I mean, I can tell you whenever I would see a female pilot, I would just be thrilled. And I, you know, and I wouldn't want to say anything because I wouldn't want to point her out as a woman, but I would always feel compelled to, you know, just get that sisterhood somehow in there. Or if I, if I heard a female pilot speaking, I would just always root for her because I know how male dominated being a pilot, you know, that the industry is and how arrogant sometimes the uh, Mm -hmm. male pilots can be. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, you know, I want to, I want to say to people, I don't know how not to, not to hurt the feelings of others, but I want people to understand that if you see a woman in the cockpit, you, uh, you better sit down and go, man, this is going to be an awesome flight. You have nothing to worry about because when we go through the training, when women go through the training, they, again, don't get a C, you know, or, you know, or a check mark or something like that. They have to prove themselves completely. 
And that's because they just have to prove themselves over and over and over, over again. Over and over. I, I tell people that's like, I got a check ride every time I flew with a different captain. And you fly with a different captain every time you go to the, go to the airport, you know? When we train in the airline, we train so that it doesn't matter who we fly with. The procedures are identical, always the same. Mm-hmm. So I, it's easy for them to schedule us because we don't have to fly with a certain person. We fly with anybody. Mm-hmm. And so every time I went there and they hadn't met me before, they had a couple of different reactions. One is like, hmm, she's, she, I know she's an idiot and I will prove it. Or I got one guy to give me the great big gigantic hug when he met me and he didn't know me, right? And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is scary. Not to mention the fact that I had makeup on and he just threw his white shirt all over my face. I'm like, oh God, oh. <laughs> here we go. Here we go. You know, because he was maybe trying to overcompensate and make me feel comfortable with his ability to be okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I tell you what, after our our flight or even during the flight, we were just like a couple little girls up there just talking back and forth. We were just getting along really well because once they get to know me, I'm just a person and I'm a pilot and I know what I'm doing. So, and some of them, they, they won't, they were never satisfied with that. It's like, you know, they would pick out some nitpick thing and go, Oh, you don't know that. (laughs) It's like, you're right. I don't know that. (laughs) But how does it make you feel when people automatically don't believe that you are capable to do your job? Yeah, it is annoying. You know, when you see me on the street, you know, the first word that comes to your, your brain is not, huh, she looks like an airline pilot. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like those words never come to mind. As a matter of fact, I could walk through the terminal in my full uniform with a man's hat on and people will come up to me and they, they would do that. They would look at me and they go, what are you a flight attendant? And I'm like, you were getting ready to say pilot. You were, <laughs> you know, I yell at them. You were getting ready to say pilot. And you changed it to flight attendant because they couldn't understand that their brain couldn't connect mm-hmm. that this black female is in a uniform that I thought only pilots wore. What mm-hmm. is she? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so it's like I'm. I get it from 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 all sides. It, it just it just works out uh, that way. Now, I will tell you that I am easily intimidated by distrust. If I have to work with someone who's got the power <laughs> to cause me trouble, you know, in my career, I I get psyched out by that, mm-hmm. and it does that doesn't help me, you know. And I I try to teach, you know, young people, because when I see things, lessons learned, how do you fix that? You know, I was always intimidated by people that were, had a, had a point to prove that of my inabilities, you know, I mean, I, I would come to the, to the rescue of being, you know, uh, terrible, you know, when they, when they would, you know, try to press me down. And, and so for that, I really, I do hate that uh, because I am quiet and um, introverted, so Mm -hmm. to speak, but uh, also, that did not make me naive and stupid. Mm-hmm. I can see what people are doing, mm-hmm. and I choose not to say anything about it out loud. Mm-hmm. They don't, so they don't know what I'm thinking. They just assume that I don't see it, I don't get it, and that they can proceed uh, as as they plan. So I I remember this. I see this, and I well, I I ignore it because it's actually their problem, not right. mine. My right. my goal is to be the best that I can. Uh, I will let them just like in, in a basic training, I will let them be upset, you know, knock yourself out because that has nothing to do with me. 
that is what I have to try to get across to, to young people. Mm-hmm. The, the young women that are coming through uh, flight school now and who are, are pilots in the military and airline pilots, they actually don't need that briefing. I needed that briefing, but they don't need that briefing because they are very confident and uh, they won't let you be discouraging to them, you know? Mm-hmm. And if they, if they don't understand something, they will ask, they will study, they will get better at it, but they, they can't be taken down as easy as I could be taken down years before that. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, be, but because my staying power, yeah. um, I, I got through that and that's what makes it look like, you know, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, you definitely know what you're doing because you are the pioneer back in those days. I don't think you could react the way that you could react now yeah. because True. then you would have True. been shooting yourself in the foot and you wouldn't have gotten <laughs> as far as you are today. Yeah, that is a true statement. There was that really thin line. So what were the lessons learned? Uh, having a mentor is awesome mm-hmm. so that you can learn how to be a leader. leader. Being confident. Uh, I found that out years later that I was never going to be confident. Wait, what do you mean you were never confident? When I was growing up, my dad thought she is so shy, quiet. I hope she grows out of it. But I didn't have, you know, and my dad was a tough guy. <laughs> and he thought women will be the, the best thing ever when they get to do what it is, whatever it is they are meant to do, you know, because he was, to, he was a total supporter. But he's like, well, I hope she grows out of it. One of those kind of things. And here's the deal. You, you kind of have to be trained when you're younger to grow out of it, if that's what you want to call it. I never grew out of it. And what I had to do was pretend to be confident. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the world changed when I realized that I, all, I could just fake it. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> would know the difference. You know? and, and I teach this to, to the young people. I said, when you go into the, uh, into the a- aviation, and not, it's, just, it's not just military. When you go into aviation, you're going to have to be confident. <laughs> mm-hmm. And kids are always you know, thinking, I have to grow into being confident. It's like, no, that's not how it works. You look in the mirror and you tell yourself every day before you go to school, I got this. And I taught them how to stand up straight and look people straight in the eye and shake hands with, with confidence and pretend to be confident. And most people, well, most people don't know that young people don't understand or realize that playing confident is enough to make you confident if none other than in the eyes of the people that actually see you. Now, I asked a, I asked a class of kids, why did the teachers tell you to stand up straight and sit up straight? And this young lady, she had the answer for me. She said, because we're going to have back problems when we turn 30, which is like, you know, a century away from her, mm-hmm. right? When we turn 30, we're going to have back troubles if we don't sit up straight. So therefore, when the teacher says sit up straight, it, it only works for like three seconds because there's no point in doing that. But when I talk to them about confidence and how people see you, uh, how you can get people to see you as awesome is pretend to be confident. They, they take that information and run with it. So I, I wish that I knew that when I was 13 years old. Once they understand how to fake being confident and fear is just something that you haven't, haven't figured out yet and find somebody that knows uh, what you want to know, even if it's just in a book. And I say that too, even if it's just in a book, they went to all the trouble to, to write that book so that you would read it 
so you wouldn't have to do with it, jump through the hoops that they jump through. Speaking of books, all of this amazing information that you share is in a book that you wrote. Tell us a little bit about that. Success is an Attitude, Goal Achievement for a Lifetime. It is on Amazon, but on the spine, it says the pocket mentor. <laughs> and that's, that's the real thing. Kids can carry around this pocket mentor. It is not negative. There, are, there is no woe is me. Uh, oh, they were mean to me. They did this to me in the book. No, I talk about social media and why is it important to vote? What? I'm nine years old. Why would I want to vote? It has nothing to do with the president. Uh, election. It has to do with the people that are around you in your city, your city council and your county commissioners, and maybe you step state representatives. They are in charge of what happens to you and your family. Get to know who they are, you know, because this is where, where the real difference in your life is going to be. I teach world peace. <laughs> I teach the kids world peace, how to deal with bullies, uh, how to read minds, hiding in plain sight. Uh, you know, all of these things are in the book to teenagers want to know. And it actually gives them a leg up to common sense. Uh, an adult will, will say, they have no common sense. This child has no common sense. And you can't get common sense unless you've experienced something, got hurt by it, and say to yourself, well, I'm never going to do that again. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't have common sense unless you've experienced life. And these kids have not experienced life. They're teenagers. They're making it all up. They're getting all their, their inside information from their friends who don't know anything either. So that's why I put this book together to say, this is what you want to do. You have something that you would like to do in your life, but you don't know how to, to go by, uh, about it. This is how you do it. You're going to run into problems. You're going to hit that wall and you have a choice. <laughs> you know, you can run home crying, you can give up, or you can climb the wall, kick through the wall, go around the wall. You're going to have to deal with it. So just do it. Brenda, you are a remarkable human. Thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you. I I appreciate you inviting me on. Thank you. I truly value you as a listener and would love to show my appreciation. Visit me at GinaLOsborne.com and I will send you a free ebook called Five Strategies to Navigate a Male-Dominated Workplace. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and are feeling inspired, please subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite listening platform. Lead Like a Lady with Gina L. Osborne is produced and edited by Lisa Osborne. Theme music is Leading Lady by retired IRS criminal investigation attache Clarissa Balmaceda featuring Alex Castillo. Find us on social media through GinaLOsborne.com slash Lead Like a Lady. And don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Lead Like a Lady with Gina L. Osborne wherever you get your podcasts. 